Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to yet another incredibly exciting edition of One Day Closer to Dead. I am Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. And Vanilla Godzilla, you, I know, are very excited, very happy, very pumped to be here today. So how is life treating you? How are things in the Bailey household? Oh, it's pretty good. Actually, I was uh, working out today, and when I came out of my shower, the workout, the shower thing that I did, I had James was on the computer, and he was watching YouTube or something. He was watching, like, how to build cardboard forts or something of this nature. And uh, he was talking to somebody on his headset. And I'm like, who are you talking to? Who, what is this about? You know, ultra, like, like Savage Dad came out like someone's going to die, whoever he's talking to on the phone. I was going to say, this, this could turn dark quick, but <clears throat> yeah. continue. And he goes, I'm talking to Siri. And I was like, you're talking to Siri? I said, what are you saying? And like, he's totally fucking upset with me for interrupting his conversation, first of all. And then second of all, he's like, I'm telling Siri I love her. Could you please? I was like, uh, okay, I, this, is, this is ridiculous. I go back, I dry off, I get dressed, and then he, I'm like, are you still on with Siri? He's like, no, 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 I said goodbye to her. I said, so you were telling Siri you love her? He goes, yes, she's just such an amazing robot. She knows everything, daddy. So just confirming this is Siri of Apple fame and not a Siri that's like charging $10 a minute. For yeah, no, the night the that you're going to get a bill for in another no, month. No, what was even funny about it is I was just like, this is the future. This is right here encapsulates the future of relationships. You know what I mean? Just some robotic chick on the fucking Internet, some made up entity that never talks back and tells you what the temperature is in Zimbabwe. This is, this is fucking great. But he was like, just, he knows it's not a real person. He's like, I just think she's wonderful. Great, James. So James's, you know, first love and first crush is Siri. So there you go. I just thought I'd share that and see if any other parents out there have had this issue at all. Eh, wonderful. Have, have you ever seen the movie Her? No, I haven't. I know I, I, I've seen like little trailers and commercials, but I've not seen it. Yeah, it's with uh, Scarlett Johansson and uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. And uh, it takes place <clears throat> in the you know not so distant future where a dude uh, falls in love with his operating system and you know, and just like an AI and the, you know, all the relationship complications that, that occur thereof. So this could, this could be the modern version of that, Jason. It probably is. I, I, relationships. And much like, much like traditional relationships, he will need to be sure that Siri doesn't get a virus. <laughs> what, who cares? Relationships suck anyway. You might as well just have one that I, I can play you queen on demand. You know, it doesn't really matter. So, but anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. That's, that's what's going on over here in the Bailey household. And then uh, everything else is happy. You haven't wanted to kill anybody lately. Everything's all... Uh... No, oh, I've really wanted to kill some motherfuckers, but you know, I'm all oh, civilized really? and shit. Yes, you know that, Dave. You set me up. The thing is, we were getting ready to record this motherfucker, and I had just got off the phone with Joe Baca, and I was getting shit together, and I was getting ready to do the recording. And I, you may even hear it on the recording. There, there was this fucking whizzing goddamn engine sound that just kept going up and down the fucking street. We've had this motherfucker happen before. Dave's had to edit it out or cut it out or whatever the fuck he does. And it was a guy using like the road outside of where I live as his personal fucking motorcycle racetrack. Okay. It was going on for like 20 fucking minutes. Not only was it loud and obnoxious, but you know, there are people like walking their dogs. There was a, a person with the stroller out there. There's like a bus station stop out there. He's like, this motherfucker is going to lose control and kill everyone with this goddamn motorcycle. So I just called the cops and said, listen, man, Get this motherfucker under control, please. I can't believe that he's able to do this. You know, I live in a pretty good, well, the best part of town, who's counting, and this needs to stop right away. So grumpy old man, old man Bailey, wants this motorcyclist to uh, fucking shut the fuck up and die. Oh, if, if, if this continues, then it could be uh, the dark Bailey returns. <laughs> Totally. And you know what's funny about this is it actually sort of leads into what we're going to talk about. Really? And and how might that be, Jason? Because the world is a dumpster fire. I don't know if you knew that. I did. Really? Did you know why? It truly is. And mm -hmm. motorcycle drivers can sometimes be assholes. But anyway, Jason, uh, why don't you lead us into what you would like to discuss 
so we can start our fine show for the dozens this week. Okay. Well, we didn't really know where we were going to go with this show, honestly, because, you know, there's so many different things we could discuss. And a lot of the dozens have been, you know, they were chirping in for things that we talked about on the What the Fuck Texas episode. Great episode, by the way. Um, And so I was just kind of taking the pulse of everybody out there. Like, what kind of feedback have we really received in the last two to three weeks? There was an episode we did, and like Dave, you might know, I've already forgotten, I'm sure some listener out there knows, two to three episodes back, where I just had this throwaway comment, like, where I said, I hate people. And, you know... You, Jason? No, you must be misremembering. No, I mean, it was like, I was doing it in the, like, how I do where I'm amped up to 10 or 11, like, you know, full-on Jason here but it was so it was, it was in the vein of entertainment but also honesty which is what we we do here and it was a shoot brother it was a shoot brother but the thing is that this throwaway comment got a lot of feedback over the last two or three weeks and at first i didn't really recognize it i was like well you know okay they kind of got a kick out of it that I, I i said that but the the comments were i fucking hate people too I can't stand people. And I was like, oh, ha, that's funny. And I just scrolled through other shit, you know. And finally, today, you know, we were trying to think about, well, what are we going to talk about? And then as I was going back through the paces, I realized, well, this got a lot of attention. This thing where I said, I hate people. I don't like people. And I, and it, it's true for the most part. It really Present is. company accepted, dozens. You're cool. In in small doses. But the thing is that so many of you guys commented on, I don't like people too, that I thought that's an interesting fucking subject. Because we are, you know, everyone out there is so good at, I think, masking this, at their, uh, particularly at their fucking workplace. I think that that's where you kind of keep it under lock and key the most because you have to to make a fucking paycheck, to, to make some bank. And the deal is that when you're with your family or you're with your friends, you do not mind looking at them and, and bitching about your day or bitching about society and going, I fucking hate people. Like, it's one of the things that I've heard constantly for the last, well, forever in my entire life is how much people can't stand other fucking people. But, well, that was partially, sorry, Jason, that was partially the worst The worst part of the, uh, the pandemic was not being able to see people. But on the flip side, the best part of the pandemic, not being able to see people. Well, that's where I was going with this is, is the deal that I, I saw was as I really thought about this, because I, I did comment about this on, I believe our last episode where we need to get back and we need to start seeing people again. And we are social creatures. Well, I'd like to add just a little bit of an asterisk to that because I've thought about it some more. We really want to see people we fucking like. We really do. Like, I want to see... That narrows that fucking list, doesn't it? It really does. And I just didn't think... Like, I guess I'm trying to get more honest about the things that I'm thinking about in my mind is we want to be with our friends badly. We want to be with our family badly. We want to be with people that we love or we like or people that like doing the same shit we do, like a particular, like a concert that we all want to go to or see a movie that, you know, in mass, that group of people want to see. I used to always say this when I used to go to the, the, the um, San Diego Comic Con, I would stand in line with a whole group of strangers and there'd just be thousands of them and just think, what a bunch of fucking nerds. What a bunch of fucking geeks. Like, I, I just, I, I don't even know why I'm standing in line. Within 10 fucking minutes, I was having full-on conversations about, like, the Klingon fucking language and how this anime was better than American cartoons. I'm like, oh, these are my people. I am one of you. Yes, I love all of you. Like We want that. We want to be around us, basically. But the general public, we don't. I have come to realize we absolutely don't. And so I started asking uh, certain people, one of the reasons I was on the phone with Jobaka before we started recording, just to come up with some kind of, you know, really tighten up some ideas. And 
I think that what it is is that the quarantine and keeping people in their homes and, you know, social distance and everything, that yes, that sucked because we weren't used to being told, hey, go the fuck home, stop coming out, stop doing this, stop doing, we don't like stop. We don't like being told what to do as human beings, particularly Americans, okay? But at the same time, for certain members of this, <laughs> of this human race, I don't know how bad it was. Um, I can tell you for a fact when the restaurant closed down and we were doing takeout only, there was almost this library effect where things were very quiet and it was very like a machine. Like we were almost like on a factory line, just spitting out food in a, in a box again and again and again. There was no clamor. There was no stress. There was no chaos. There was no yelling, no drama, none of that shit. And I remember thinking, this is highly peaceful. It's very serene. And for a lot of the the friends that I have and a lot of the listeners, they have started talking about that, that going back to work for them has given them anxiety and it has not a motherfucking thing to do with cotton candy or getting cotton candy or I might have symptoms of cotton. Now, fuck cotton candy. Now, they're talking about they don't want to be around people. Period. Because well, they're people. This this plays into something that we talked about last week as well, is that you had realized that you had forgotten how to do the facade at work. And that was where I was joking that you would be so much cuter if you smiled more. Um, and I think that, also, that kind of is a bit of a seed of what we're kind of talking about, is that some of the basic social skills that people kind of took for granted just because it was like breathing in and out, they have to relearn and think about as society starts to reintegrate with one another. And that's another reason why you see so much polarization in both politics and the internet and anything that has a little bit of distance to it. For one, because again, you know, like I've said many times, there's money in the outrage. That's a big thing. But also because people are looking for some sort of output or venting or target for that angst. And, you know, in a, in a space where they're not going to suffer consequences like they would if they blew up at their job. But it's conversely, this is also the same reason I feel why there's been such an incredible rise of workplace shootings in the last like six or seven weeks. I think you're right, Dave. I think that that plays into it is the fact of the matter is that, you know, with me forgetting how to, what I call fake smile, where you're like, okay, absolutely, yeah, blah, 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 blah. You know, it, it that says something, that for, you know, a year and a half, I did not have to do that for my job. And I'm in, quote, unquote, hospitality, and I just didn't have to fucking do it anymore. And we're recognizing people both coming back to work and the public at large coming back out <clears throat> in general to eat or whatever. And it's the same. They're, the niceties are completely fucking gone. They're gone. And it's like it took a group of humans that were already, you know, quasi polite out of just, I guess it was beat into them as children or in their church or something. And that shit's gone. And now you have a lot of people with resting bitch face who there are no please, thank yous, or your welcomes. And it's very, very obvious that that year and a half degraded social skills that were barely functioning anyway. I've noticed it in myself and others. And I, these people that are saying, I don't like work because I can't stand my coworkers. I don't want to work with people I can't get away from. There is there's something going on with that, dude. There really is. And what's even more interesting is, you know, they, they had the, the recent article. I mean, obviously, I think we all know that, that um, it's getting very difficult to run businesses anywhere because they can't get enough workers. No one is coming back to work for various reasons, whether it's child care or a financial situation or what have you. But a lot of it is just what I've been thinking for a long, long time now is that, you know, the foot has been off the gas and, and it's just, it's hard to get the machine rolling again. In Silicon Valley, they've actually, you know, places like Google and Apple have said, you know, at this date, and I believe July, you are, it's all hands on deck. Everyone's coming back to work and they're already getting a pushback like, no, we, we don't want to. 
we can do everything that you want us to do without coming to that building. And yeah. this has been this has been reported now by these companies. Okay. Oh yeah, we even t- we even talked about it either last week or the week before in regards to that contributing to the uh, the difficulty in hiring is that a lot of people. It's not just a, a matter of unemployment or whatever. A lot of it has to do with also the fact that people, for whatever reason, are specifically looking for a situation where they can work at least part time at their house as opposed to having to go to a workplace every day. Yeah, well, this is this is exactly what's happening because you got people that are making really decent money and they're just saying, I think that it got to a point where they could wake up at a certain time. They could have their cocktail at a certain time. They didn't have to put their, you know, they could stay in their pajamas all day if they wanted. I mean, it was a lot of it was a lot of personal freedom. So the fact that everyone was socially distanced and quarantined and told to stay at home for the most part and work became something you did at home because you were, quote unquote, essential. You needed to do this fucking work, maybe or maybe you you didn't qualify for the whatever it was you had to work from home okay to keep things going sometimes partially sometimes fully what have you okay and a lot of people they liked it i know we talked about so much of it last week and in the news about how this has been a real hardship but it's only been till recently that people have come out and said i fucking love working from home i was watching one of the news i'm a news junkie unfortunately and Al Roker was one of the first people that said, I had my whole weather newscasting thing set up in my garage. I got to be with my kids all day long. I, I love working from home. I, you know, it's, it was much better than having to come to, you know, the, the Rockefeller yet, Center. And yet the flip is what we also talked about in the past is that there also was an increase in domestic violence mm-hmm. cases and, and all kinds of, of strife in the house too, because people couldn't get the fuck away from each other. So it's... You know, any either extreme, I think, is problematic. But I think what people are looking for as a general rule is more freedom to make the decision themselves on how they're most productive and how they can live their lives as opposed to being dictated to by a corporation, an employer, mm-hmm. spouse, whatever it is. Absolutely. I. But the thing is, well, I guess the question that um, I have or kind of like the, the analyzing of this issue is how do you kind of get through life when you have a job where most people, I would say most people, I'm just going to go on a limb and say that if you have to go somewhere most of the week, you have resentment towards having to fucking go there. And honestly, a lot of resentment with the people that you share that space with in a productive financial way. And because it's just like, I know it would be nice if we all went, I love my job. It's the greatest, but we don't. I mean, we don't. As a society, we do not like our jobs. And a lot of it is we do it because of the fucking money, which is exactly why you should do a job, okay? My job that I do is 100%, 100% for the... More money than I've ever made in my life before. That's the only reason I go there, period. And I don't even... There's no other reason. I don't go there because it makes me happy. I don't even go there because it's something that I wanted to do my whole life. It's the fucking money. Okay. I'm like Brock Lesnar going to WWE. This is what I can do. I do it really well. Fucking pay me. I'm going home. This you're, fuck- you're, you put more hours in than Brock does though. Man, I will that's say true. That. This podcast is me. Like this podcast is the real Jason. Absolutely. I crank it up for entertainment value. There's no doubt about it. Okay. But this is the real me. This is well, the J- this is Jason Bailey, and the thing is, I can vouch me, for that. By the way, that's true. But let me give me one second, Dave. Is the thing is that Marlon Brando once said this with the Larry King interview. With Larry King, kept talking about acting and acting and acting, which is what, of course, Marlon's known for. And Marlon was just like just shaking his head because he wanted to talk about so much other shit, like about life and Native Americans and whatnot, or Pluto or whatever the fuck was on his mind that time, lasagna. That he literally said. Acting is the oldest profession in the world. It's not prostitution. He goes, because every single person that goes into work every single day is acting. They're acting. When their boss tells them something, they're like, oh, that sounds great. It's a good idea. Are you dealing with the public? You're acting. Everyone is fucking acting a certain way to get through their goddamn professional life. In a way, they are, okay? Um, 
it's the it's the person that's doing their hobby or the person at home or the person that you're in a relationship with all by yourselves that you go that's the real motherfucker that's the real person and there's something going on where the adulting this is I'm I'm pulling from the millennial vocabulary here adulting I honestly think comes down to one thing and it's the ability to deal with stress pressure and anxiety the ability to deal with stress pressure and anxiety okay and a lot of stress pressure and anxiety in my opinion is putting on a fucking front all the goddamn time for all of us where we have to go i really have to pretend i give a fuck about what i'm being told not just in your job sometimes with people you care about but the thing is, I have to take all these people who for a year and a half had have not had to put up with this fake bullshit and then, sh- and then basically saying, hey, you don't have to be in fake prison for a year and a half. And then going, call them up. Everyone needs to go back to fake prison. They're like, uh, suck a dick. I'm not fucking going back to fake prison. So it's a very weird social thing that is happening. And it's more than just... We gave out too much money, so everyone wants to stay at home right now. There is that. I can see that from a management position. There is more going on where, fuck you, we don't want to go back to this fake prison anymore. Well, I'll tell you what the great irony is, is, is something you said a moment ago where, you know, that this, this podcast is the, the real Jason Bailey, whereas I only do this podcast for the money. <laughs> You know, with your other enterprises, you may just be right. <laughs> Look, man, I'll tell you this much. I'm self-employed and my boss is an asshole. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, the thing is that, honestly, I think that you get two choices in fucking life sometimes, okay? I think that you can either um, make money or you can choose what you want to do with your day. It's very, very difficult to get both in this lifetime. It really is. And, and hey, spoiler alert, there is no other lifetime. So it's a very bizarre dichotomy we're in. And I can tell you this absolutely. For a while, I was calling this lazy getting. Like people just got straight up fucking lazy. But you know, I think it was ignorant of me. I think it was extremely ignorant. Because the more that I thought about it, I'm going, this is not just millennials going, I don't like to work. It's, it's, that's not it. Okay. I have my own issues with fucking millennials. Um, but that's really what? not it. I think, yeah. And by the way, a lot of the listeners do too. There is definitely a generational gap in the way we view work are not even work. Like I'm talking about employment, just putting the effort into something. Okay. Having gumption or character or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, but at any rate, there is something going on here where people are like, I can't stand going to a fucking place the majority of my life and pretending to be somebody I am not. And it's just too much. It, it's too much and it's gone on too long. And it'll be interesting to see where this all shakes out. And I'm as a, just as a member of, of the fucking universe contemplating itself, I myself, with the very few years I have left here, am going to enjoy seeing where this all goes because I think that COVID has reset our way of thinking about a lot of shit, a lot of shit. And it's almost like, well, if we could do this shit at home during this moment, what's to stop us from continuing this? Why do I start? I've started to see the other side where it's like, why go back at all? I can do what you're having me fucking do. Why go back? And a lot of it, when I started asking was personal freedom of your day. That's one. But number two, I can't tell you how many people said they have anxiety going to their jobs and dealing with the other fucking people. It's the other fucking people they have to deal with day in and day out. There's a very famous quote that says, people don't quit jobs, they quit management. They quit the fucking people that are in charge of them more than anything else, okay? And it is one of those things where it's, you can love a company, but look at your man, you're, the people who tell you what to fucking do, when you can take a break, when you can sit down, where you're going to go and when you show up, and you're like, fuck you, fuck you. All of a sudden you turn into Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon. And it's very easy to understand that, you know, you let Steve Austin go away on four wheelers and still paid him to do it. Now you're telling him to come back to the fucking ring. He's like, no, 
I don't want to do it. And it seems like there's tons and tons of us out there thinking this now. And it's a new way of thinking what's going on. My question to you, Dave, is have, I mean, we're in a different situation. I used to be in your situation, you know, where you're lining up gigs and you're trying to find some means to get to your next month and, and stuff like this, because that's the actor's lifestyle. That's you're a hustler every single day. But, um, do you suffer an anxiety with other people when you're shoved and told you have to go to some place? And how do you deal with it? You know, how, how do we all deal with this? I know how I deal with it, but how do, how do you deal with it? Or have you experienced it before? Maybe insecurity or, or whatever? Well, I'm, I mean, due to childhood experiences that we've talked about, you know, both on and off air in the past, there was, especially when I was younger, a considerable amount of social anxiety. I didn't like being in crowds. I didn't like being around, pe- you know, people period, let alone, you know, groups of people I didn't know, Um, which is also why theater was a safe space, because when it's an audience, there's distance there. And, you know, no one's going to in in an ideal world, no one's going to jump up on the on the stage after you, you know. Um, So so, yes, I am. I am certainly familiar with that. And then, yes, I've been in, you know, uh, work situations, both in security and in other things where there were really severe issues with with coworkers that, you know, I, I'll, I will say at one point, uh, one, um, uh, like my assistant, I guess, or whatever, uh, tried to physically threaten me when he got caught doing something he really shouldn't have been doing. And then management was refusing to have my back on it. So I just stopped showing up for a couple of days. And I, and I remember I told the, uh, the, the head guy there, I was like, if you don't believe what I'm about to tell you, talk to so-and-so, talk to so-and-so, talk to so-and-so, and talk to so-and-so, and ask them if I am exaggerating in any way, shape, or form. I am telling you right now, if that motherfucker ever makes any threat in my direction again, you will get a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning to come pick him up with a fucking mop, because I will put him through the goddamn dispatch window. Um, and, uh, yeah, that dude wasn't there for much longer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I could use so the same yes, words. Jason, yes, I can relate. <laughs> The, that's great. The, the thing is with, with uh, me and dealing with the public as long as I have is for a long time, I thought it almost helped me. I really did. I thought being in around, what way <clears throat> I thought well, being it without being forced to, because while I was quote unquote acting, which is just fucking, you know, scrounging for bit parts that I didn't want anyway. Um, I was, I got just like a lot of servers I got into, or a lot of servers i became an act a lot of actors i became a server and the thing is that when i became a server it it freed up my time so that i could go on auditions or get shit done or or what have you and i thought you know this is good this is good because left to my own devices i i wouldn't talk to people at all i know i just would just kind of hide away and you know hang out with cody hang out with dave you know have a girl on the side just be this fucking, you know, almost like the, how the, that bodybuilder's lifestyle where they've got this select circle of people that help them with bodybuilding, but they, they're such loners. They're in the gym all day. That's how I would have been. Absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of industries that are actually kind of like that. Like you, you know, having been involved in Hollywood, you might relate to this as well as stunt teams. A lot of times yeah. are very insular, uh, partially because there needs to be a significant amount of trust there with each other's personal safety. If they're doing fight scenes or doing jumps or whatever. Uh, so you'll see like stunt teams work together all the time, but they don't have a lot of contact with people outside of that circle in their day-to-day life very frequently. If they're, if they're working a lot. Well, yeah. The thing is, when I went to tables and I talked to them, um, you know, I was working cheesecake in Pasadena and I would, you know, work eight hour shift and just, it was unbelievable. Every day we were so fucking packed and there were so many people you dealt with the public all day long and yeah, the public drove you fucking nuts. But at the same time, I remember thinking this is good because I'm forced to deal with the public. I'm forced to fucking keep going and, and be part of society because without this, I probably would just go, you know, Ted Kaczynski on people and fucking leave society altogether and be like Obi-Wan in a, in a fucking hut. And it did help me in, in reading people and dealing with people and how to honestly manipulate people into ordering what I wanted them to order and getting a bigger tip. I used to always say that serving was personality prostitution. Like I am singing for my supper every fucking night and I'm going to figure out what it is that you're looking for. Are you looking for efficiency? Are you looking for character? Are you, what are you looking for? Am I your son in this? Am I your future boyfriend? What, what projection do you want from your server today? And the real high-end servers that made tons of fucking money, 
That's what they understood is how well, especially to play to their in audience. a tip based industry too. Yeah. yeah, and I became, I mean, very fucking good at it. And and, and the deal was I went into management just because after a while it was much better money from what I was making and I was doing okay. But, you know, management there was like, you're already pretty much in charge of the shift in many aspects. You're the lead server, you're the, all this stuff. Why don't you just think about management? And I was like, well, I never did think about management, but leadership came fairly easy. So that's how I did that transition. But at the same time, you know, I, I did realize that that was a good thing for me to keep going. And But I had friends like you know, Charles Mintz and people who hated the public, couldn't fucking stand them. And he was a great server. I thought he, he was almost like he was a professional butler like Alfred or C-3PO or something. Like he was so goddamn good that it, he, what he did, and by the way, serving is a fucking art form. There is a craft to it. And I think it's lost. I think a lot of people that you get today are just order takers. But some of the best people I ever met in my life as far as a work ethic and being intelligent were servers. And he told me that he prepped, he was older than me, probably about six, seven years. And he told me that he used to prep by literally having an alter ego that he would start to slip into. And he's not an actor, but like Marlon said, we're all actors to a certain degree in our jobs. And he said that he almost invented this robotic, oddly enough, like a C-3PO personality that was a protocol droid type human. And I mean, and it worked. It fucking worked. And when I worked at Fleming's at the uh, a very nice steakhouse in Woodland Hills, my best servers, they couldn't stand the public. They couldn't fucking stand them. But they had a persona that they, they had perfected so fucking well that it worked to make them money to pay their mortgage. Not rent, mortgage on nice houses, okay? And I just, I've always been fascinated by the preparation that a server goes through, I did it myself, to become something that you don't have in you. You don't want to deal with the public. You don't have it in you. And I'm sure it's not just serving. I think it's in probably a lot of fucking industries out there where your prep has to be almost an out-of-body experience. Like, I'm putting on a different persona. Even to myself, I'm going to method act this motherfucker today. And I think the method acting part for a lot of this new generation is just like, yeah, no, no, I, I, I gotta be me. And the authentic me is the, is the motherfucker you're getting at work too. And I, I'm not willing to, to put on a different persona. And it's with definitely with the younger generation. Absolutely. It is. And I'm, for a long time, I thought that was bad. Like, this is fucking horrible. But now there's a part of me that's like, well, hold on. Maybe this is just the way this should have always been in the first place. As long as you're not rude or you're not, you know, completely unprofessional. <laughs> you have a little bit of unprofessionalism. But completely where, you know, you get the job done and you treat people, you know, right. But the whole bullshittery of it, maybe this needed to go away a long time ago. And I'm just... I have no answers. I think that's what bothers me about this show or this one in particular is I'm sort of miffed sometimes when I don't have like, this is how it should be. God damn it. It's, it's more just a conversational something's in the air. It's like our first episodes called something's in the water or something's in the water, something like that. And, um, that's what I feel. I feel like there's something in the air that's changing. There's some electricity that it's not just, politics and it's not just you know that we can't get along or we choose to watch a news channel that reflects what we want to hear there's something else going on and i think that you know they say choose a job that you love and you never have to work a day in your fucking life well that's a beautiful fucking statement fucking it's yay. bullshit though yeah fucking yay to that statement <laughs> pick because, something you love and you'll have to work harder than you've ever worked ever but at least it'll feel like it's worth it ideally Right. And the, th and the thing is that even people like, I want a job that fulfills me. Well, great. You might just find a job that fulfills you for a couple years. But a job is just like a marriage. You're going to have some good years and you're going to have some fucking horrible fucking years. That's why when you take the marital vows, they're for ups, downs, death, the sick, poor health, richness, the whole fucking gambit. Because 
people who know already know that you're entering into a contract where there's both good times and bad times that you need to stick through. Well, we're in a situation now where people are like, yeah, fuck that. Fuck that. All that noise. Fuck that. What do you need me to do? I can do it from home. Kiss my ass. And that's sort of where we're going. And it is, and honestly, for all the Republican assholes out there, <laughs> forgive me, uh, who think that the reason that no one's, you know, crawling back, begging for their jobs back is because we gave out too much money or stimulus. I can tell you maybe in select areas that might be true. There might be some truth to it, but I can tell you, and I've been the one that's been beating this drum the hardest in the Jason verse. There has been a fundamental change in the world, but definitely here in the United States of free enterprise, people don't want to go back to work. I mean, they don't want to go back to prison and that's what's going on here. Well, I would love for any dozens that choose to participate. I would love for y'all to share any, uh, co-worker or management nightmare stories that you have had to endure <laughs> over the course of you know your many jobs, careers, what have you. Jason, where would be a good place for them to vent those past frustrations and ridiculousness to us? Where could they do that? You might be able to do this if the site's up and running and the web doesn't crash again today at this little known email address known as... Ask Dave and Jason at Excite.com because, well, God damn it, it's exciting. So something you said earlier definitely plays very heavily in a much darker way with our second topic of the week. We've talked a lot off and on about the A&E biographies that WWE has been uh, partnering with over the last few weeks. We talked about Roddy, obviously. We talked about Steve Austin. They've done, you know, there was the the controversy over Randy Savage, and then most recently they did uh, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Booker T. Uh, Some of those I've seen, and some of them I have not. But one thing we have not really talked about outside of in passing has been Dark Side of the Ring. And Dark Side of the Ring did an episode uh, this past week um, on the Smith family. And uh, so those of you don't make the same mistake that Mr. Bailey almost did, we're not talking about Davy Boy Smith. This is not talking about the British Bulldog. No, this is talking about Grizzly Smith and his oldest son, Aurelian Smith Jr., who you may know better as Jake the Snake Roberts, as well as his sister, Rockin' Robin, and his brother, Sam Houston. Um, half-sister, half-brother, if we want to be, like, official with the genetics of it. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there. And then there also is a, a fourth sibling that never got involved in the wrestling business and a fifth sibling that was murdered, which we will also talk about as well. So, Grizzly Smith, talk about a guy who put on a persona that really hid who this motherfucker was for decades and decades and decades, because this this asshole died when he was like, I think, 77, 78 years old of Alzheimer's disease. So outside of whatever karma you could find in a brain disease, I don't think this motherfucker ever had the reckoning that truly was deserved, uh, unless you believe in some sort of afterlife penance. But uh, for those that don't know, Grizzly Smith was uh, about seven feet tall, over 350 pounds. Like he was a gigantic mountain of a man. Uh, who had been working like in the oil fields or something? And then he got into he got into wrestling. Uh, he also was a serial pedophile and used his celebrity as a public figure, especially in Mid South and, and you know it was throughout the territory days. There were no national companies yet uh, to um, lure and groom and kind of harvest all of these young girls, um, including two of his own daughters. And Jake Roberts, his oldest son, was actually conceived when Grizzly raped a 13-year-old who was the daughter of the woman he was dating at the time before he ever got into the wrestling business. And that is how Jake Roberts came into the world. Um, I knew that story from Beyond the Mat, the documentary from the late 90s. I was not aware if that story had been told by Jake previous to that documentary or not. It's sounding like not. It's sounding like a lot of people who are very well tuned into the industry first heard of this in regards to Grizzly Smith uh, in that documentary in the late 90s. Now, Jake is not a fan of Beyond the Mat, but I I certainly think regardless of, you know, whose side you believe as far as what Jake was told going in or out of the documentary, like, I do think there was good to be had from the divulging of Grizzly Smith's fucking, you know, skeletons in the closet. 
So, Jason, you and I have both watched this documentary. Um, I don't... I knew that Jake was uh, brother and sister with Rock and Robin and, and Sam Houston. Um, there were other things I did not know. I did not know Sam Houston had been married to Baby Doll as an example. But um, what were your takeaways from this documentary? What did you think about it? What are, For the dozens who haven't seen it or are not familiar with this horrific goddamn story that at least has a semblance of a happy ending with, with Jake and Robin and maybe to a lesser degree Sam and, their, and then their fourth <clears throat> brother, you know, hopefully kind of moving past things and, and reaching good places in their individual lives. But what... How would you describe this if you were telling the dozens about it? Well, the Dark Side of the Ring episodes, you know, they they really do delve into the parts of the wrestling industry that are just sometimes, well, most of the time, hard to digest. They really are, you know, in in just a manner where you're like, oh my God, they're they're dealing with subject matter that's, you know, death and drugs and 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 fucking rape and just problems all around. Well, you know, this this one absolutely is as, as dark as it gets, but it, it's, it's dark in a way that is not, in my opinion, salacious in the fact of they're not stirring shit up in a tabloid manner to get you to fucking watch the dark side of the ring. It really is told in a way um, to let people know that, you know, this stuff happens in lots of fucking families out there and that you need, if there is any kind of pedophilia happening, any kind of sexual abuse at all happening, you know, this is to help people who have either experienced it or are experiencing it to go get help and to realize that there is recovery afterwards and it doesn't need to be tolerated and that families can start the healing process together, no matter how estranged they are. And that's the truth. So I have to give credit to you know the filmmakers here at Vice, Viceland, that they're so able to do something so horrible as far as a story, but they're making it public in a way with the permission of the family to hopefully further the cause of helping people who have had, you know, this sexual abuse uh, uh, visited upon them uh, and, and by people who are the closest people in their lives, their, their parents, their mom or, and their dad. And what I took away from it is, you know, uh, I, I think I can speak for Dave. I know that he's a huge Jake Roberts uh, fan and I'm a huge Jake Roberts fan, particularly in the late eighties. I just fell in love with the character, Jake, the snake Roberts. And when you're a kid, you only know what was presented to you. And as a matter of fact, as an adult, because of kayfabe that you only know what's presented to you too, in, in the wrestling format, but he always, his characterization of, uh, you know, Jake's characterization of Jake, the snake Roberts was so good because he seemed, he did have that underlying persona that, you know, there was demons that he had, he, he keeps inside that bag alongside Damien and he can unleash them at any time to get the job done. His promo style was absolutely fantastic in the fact that there wasn't a lot of yelling and screaming. There was some, but a lot of it was looking directly in the camera and making you believe that he was that character. And he did have some very, very demonic secrets happening inside his head that he was willing to go to, to, to depths that the, his opponent would not. And, and he was very let me, dangerous. Let me clarify one thing, just for those that are may not be familiar. Um, it was Grizzly Smith, Jake's father, who was the one who had these predilections yeah. and, and all of this awful behavior. So Jake, Jake was badly abused <clears throat> as a child, both yeah. from his stepmother as well as from his dad. Not not sexually from his dad, but physically from his dad, and just in general, emotionally, and and you know all kinds of things. Um, you know, Jake has multiple kids. I at least four, if not more than that. Yeah. I should kind of forgetting now um, that he, you know, had had kind of off and on kind of troubled relationships with over the years due to mostly because of his absence and because of his drug use. But just to be clear, uh, you know, Jake has never been accused in any way of, of that type of behavior. And actually he's publicly talked about how, when he first had kids, he was terrified of becoming that yeah. person. Yeah. Um, and how that did affect like how he was almost afraid to interact with his own kids physically in any kind of way, no matter how innocent it was. Um, and, you know, and then, and I don't know if rock and Robin has, has children or not, but she, you know, spoke to her own trauma from, from the hands of Grizzly as well. And how that, you know, caused her to kind of go down a dark path with alcohol abuse for a long time. Um, and it's, 
it really cut deep. There, one of the most memorable stories was when Robin told a story where she hadn't seen Grizzly for a while. I'm a, <clears throat> a little unclear as to how old Robin was at the time. It sounded like she might have been already already out of the wrestling business at this point. And Grizzly just suddenly showed up at her house with like a twelve year old girl with him. No, and it was eight, like, like it was an eight year old. I, I thought it was older, but she was older. Maybe, but either way, like young, no, young. Like, Young, young. Very young. And then Grizzly was immediately just like, yeah, go make her a daiquiri. And Robin, to her credit, made, you know, Grizzly leave the house and did not let the girl go with him. Um, but, like, just the casualness with, with, he, with which he thought he could just get away with that. Yeah. Because he had already taken his own daughter down that path before, and he figured, I guess, that she wouldn't stand up to him. Well, what a horrible person. And not just, yeah. the, not just the pedophilia that he he himself, you know, was, but at the same time is that, you know, as I was kind of saying is that what you realize that Jake was doing with his character all those years was he was, he was sort of exercising his demons through this character. And he was also like we talked about with the servers are dealing with public inventing a persona, not just to make it quote unquote, or get over with the wrestling crowd, and become a success, but also to protect himself for what his childhood, which in a mental way, he was mentally abused, physically abused in a probably disciplinarian way with his, his dad. And that mojo, that psychic mojo, if there's a parent that is abusing one of your siblings is seeping into you. Believe me, I can guarantee this. I believe in this a hundred percent. Okay. And the thing is that we that, saw this with Roddy too, actually. Yes, absolutely. And the thing is that Jake, a lot of the drinking and the drug use and with his family members, that that addictive you know, personality trait was also in there was, yes, there, there's definitely a part of genetics that can be said, well, genetically, we have this trait that we'll just go all the way if we, if we start. But when you come from a, a childhood of that kind of severe pain and abuse, that mental abuse, and then obviously, you know, physical abuse with the girls that, that was going, going on. And then with his, his actual, the sexual abuse that he claims from, you know, <laughs> Grizzly Smith's wife at the time that he had, that he, when he moved back with them, when you Rock, go through, and Robin and Sam Houston's mother to be specific. Yeah. When you go through that kind of trauma, um, it's in you. I, I truly believe that the characteristics that you have as an adult, whoever you are right now, listening out there to our voice, you know, wherever you are, I guarantee you both good and bad. The traits that you carry with you were forged when you were a child. And a lot of the quote unquote good traits or the favorable traits that you have sometimes are fighting against the negative that was instilled in you as a child. You're like, I'm not going to do that. But everything that you are, I and this is Jason just spewing here, and I believe what I'm saying. It's my opinion, but of course I'm right, is the thing is that what you are literally as as what goes through your mind that fucking loop of your your subconscious that turns into the consciousness it was forged in your childhood so when you see with someone like jake and his siblings go through this abuse that they did and turn out to have the addictive personalities or they turn out to have their also their abusive personalities that could come out in various forms it doesn't have to be just pedophilia it can be in many different forms of neglect even okay where you, sure. this is this is absolutely instilled in you as a fucking child and the thing is that that's what i took away is thank god they told this story all and thank god all of the siblings did it together uh, and 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 it really gives me hope i'm just like man i want there to be a sequel to this thing hopefully in a year or two where you know the smith family there you get to hear back from them kind of like an update or something you know on unsolved mysteries where hey we solved this problem or hey this is what's going on now where they, they you know that estrangement uh, towards the, the later half of their life gets taken care of because they are still brothers and sisters. There is still that love, both genetic and just love out of the experiences they had together. And I think that would be amazing if they could make that happen. But for all of them to come out and say, hey, yo, this is what I even love my dad. And this is the kind of bullshit we knew he was doing. That takes in a tremendous amount of fucking courage. And so I respect the fuck out of them for doing it. And it's a great fucking show. And it, but the, the big takeaway was a, them trying to help people who are going through it, but b Dave, honestly, 
a lot of it, I would look towards myself and go, that's why I'm the way I am. I can, I can go back to my childhood and go, the reason I work out is because. The reason I learn to speak as well as I can is because. The reason that I distrust this type of individual is because. My relationship with this thing is because. And it all stems from childhood. When we, when we have our segment about childhood is dead, the, the, usually the second segment of our, of our program, always it's something that we are usually nostalgic about that we wish was still there. And I can guarantee to you that whatever we're talking about somewhere in our lives, it affects us so much that we're either trying to recreate it or we don't want it to go away. And it's affecting daily events. Guarantee it. And that's not just Dave and I on the show. It's people who are listening to us right now. And there's something that needs to be said that you can't look back as you get older and place blame. Because if we did, every one of us could look back and go, I blame that person. I blame this person. I blame that person for the way I am. That's fine. And there's a place for that. You should have that actually. But then the rebuilding must come. And the things that you turn yourself into, no matter what the trauma is in your childhood or what you love that's dead now, i.e. my grandfather, you must let it go, put it in place. Place, and you've got to rebuild from that. And I, that's really what I took from that. And it, I was so passionate about it that when Dave said, Hey, let's talk about this. And I, you know, after I realized it wasn't about Davey Boy Smith and I watched it, <laughs> I literally thought, man, this is, this ties in with segment two because it's so much, you know, about when well, I almost, I, well, I did, I started crying cause I'm a bitch. I start crying about everything. When, when Jake started talking about, he put that, that boy you know, that he never was past like maybe 12 or 13, who he, who he originally was, Aurelius Smith Jr. Like he, he said, that, that guy, he has not developed past 13. Jake the Snake stepped in at that point. And I like, I can be Jake. I'm comfortable being Jake. That had, there's been no development. And he starts tearing up. And I'm like, oh God, oh God. Because you could see this is exactly right. He's gone through his whole life and developed this badass sleazy snaky character who will do whatever it takes to get by and it was yes for wrestling but it was for him too yeah and you know hopefully and i i one thing i'm blanking on maybe if, if you remember jason the the name of the brother who didn't get into the wrestling industry who ended up like grizzly actually adopted him out and then later when grizz had uh Alzheimer's. He ended up being Grizzly's only caretaker, which was a weird bit of irony. Yeah, I, I can't remember that gentleman's name. Unfortunately, I want to um, think he's like John or something like that. I forget the actual name, but out of all of them, I I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember his name. I had tremendous said, amount of respect for this dude. Oh, man. absolutely. And he was like, you know, I, I can't feel bad about it in regards to being adopted, you know, away from you know his biological parents. Um, but he's like, honestly, like I'm it really seems like I'm the lucky one out of, out of the group of us. And that's absolutely correct. Yeah. I think, you know, not, not knowing anything else about this gentleman's personal history, but at least in regards to not having to be around all this other shit. Yeah. I would say so. And what's the the irony of it is that he was, you know, adopted out. He, he was sort of given away, but at the end of, you know, Grizzly Smith's life, that's the one that, took care of him, came back into the fold and, and took care of him probably the last 10 years of his life, you know, and, um, just what a, um, a terrible story and how much, you know, that, that family and wrestling family contributed in such a big, big way in wrestling, but the behind the scenes of their family life, you know, what a, what a terrible nightmare for, for the children. And you have to always remember that, all, all traumatized children grow up to be traumatized adults, you know, and it's just, it's so hard to watch them go through their lives and the struggles that they had. I mean, you know, the fact that they were successes in any capacity is, it's pretty amazing that they're still alive and functioning adults. And that's a whole side deal that, you know, the top of the Deadpool fucking list for decades really was Jake the Snake Roberts. And the fact is, you know, he's like a fucking cockroach. He just never died when all of his other peers did from drug abuse that Jake did much more copious amounts thereof and hated himself so much that he broke every mirror in his house. He didn't want to look at himself anymore. He has a lot of self-hatred and he's still here. And sometimes you're like, you know, that's, 
that's amazing. Maybe the universe wants him here so that he tells this story so that other people out there know that there is hope to that, you know, you don't have to keep it all inside forever. You know, that you can, you can go tell somebody about this and get help. And, uh, I think that even though it's a dark side of the ring and it's a, the worst story that you could possibly have is, is the abuse of children. I, it makes me want to cry. It makes me angry. I can't stand it. I hate it. Okay. And that little boy inside me, that little Jason Bailey, he cries, you know, he cries all the time for shit that I see. And, and all that is, is, you know, that little boy, just like the little Dave Baudry still in you and, and the visitor out there and the listener out there that's listening to us, that little child is still in you. I guess back in the nineties, we termed it the inner child, but it's still in you and everything that you learn, everything that sat in you. Then what I've come to realize as I've gotten older is none, we change because we have to change in society and the general environment around us because we're survivors, you know, we're survivalists, but our inner workings at the very core of who we are, are children. We still want to be loved. We still have inert hatreds in us that we need to get over. We still want the comfort of someone that, that cares for us. We, we still have the same desires. We want attention. We have ambition. We are lazy at times. We are children. We are children. We just grew the fuck up. And here we are being told to go to fake prison. So, I mean, the thing is that uh, that's what I got from it. Watching Jake made me cry, but it's, it's an inspiring story at the end in, in a, in a way it really is. One thing that was interesting as a side note, and then I think we've said all we needed to say about it for the time being is for all the talk of, of Grizzly and all of his many awful attributes, um, you know, we talked about how there seems to be that genetic predisposition for addiction. For all the talk of Grizzly, they didn't make any mention of him having any, um, like, alcohol abuse. Doesn't mean he didn't. But, like, they really didn't... Like, he seemed like he was in, for better or worse, and mostly for worse, like, in such self-control at all times to manipulate what he needed to manipulate and get away with what he needed to get away with. There really wasn't any mention of him himself having any um, substance abuse issues. Again, doesn't mean he didn't, but I, I just, I thought that was kind of interesting. Whereas everyone else around him had to drink themselves into oblivion in order to deal with the destruction that he left in his path. Well, the thing is, Dave, that he did have an addiction. It was little girls. Yes, but I was talking, you know, in the traditional sense of Absol- alcohol or drugs Well, or whatever, the, the, in, the yeah. tra- in the traditional sense, that I'm speaking the same way. I'm not, uh, sure. you know, saying you're wrong. There was, no, I know. they didn't say anything about chemical addiction, but addiction, uh, like um, we talk about, we could do a whole fucking episode on porn addiction. There is so much fucking porn addiction out there. I think we did there. once. Nah, it's probably just talking about my personal life. But I mean, there's so much of it out there that yes, Grizzly Smith, uh, he did have a fucking addiction that never stopped. And it was little girls because pedophiles are addicted to it. They can't stop. When uh, you research pedophilia, they look, you know, whether it's a man or woman who wants a child, they look at a child in, in the same capacity that literally I would look at Cindy Crawford circa 1988. They, that is their cup of tea. That's what they want sexually. And Except nothing going to stop them. Except you wouldn't try to assault Cindy Crawford circa no. 1998. No. That's also a big but part of the difference. The thing is, the addiction is to to keep doing it again and again and again until they're fucking stopped. Well, Grizzly Smith was never fucking stopped. But no, I think addiction did run in their family. And, in, you know, the, the kids, they didn't have, um, you know, any any kind of, that, that pedophilia didn't pass on to them. But they to to deal with it, they said, well, I'll, I'm going to hit the bottle pretty fucking hard. And with Jake, it was even more than the bottle. It was cocaine, liberal amounts of cocaine. Uh, yeah. So the thing is that, no, but addiction takes many forms. There are gambling addiction. There's, there's addictions to money. There's addictions to security. There's addictions to all sorts of shit. So the thing is, he did have it, but you're right, not in the, the traditional uh, substance uh, capacity. But honestly, uh, if I had to have an addiction, I'd rather have that than abusing children. Any day of the week. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Any final thoughts, Jason? Then we are out of here. I can't fucking believe this is only an hour long. This is this. Wow. We actually hit our fucking time this week. Well, this is amazing. We should celebrate, but uh, no, thank you very much. Guys celebrate by talking for another 20 minutes. Let's do it. Yeah. We're so great. Let's talk for 20 more minutes about how we're great. Hey, I just want to thank all of you out there. Kansas city, Paris, LA, 
Louisville, thank you very much so much for the entire world listening to us. We really appreciate you. We hope you're having a great summer uh, getting back out there. But uh, yeah, if you love what we do, you know what I always say, telegram, telephone, and tell a motherfucking friend that we're here and we are here to stay. We are one day closer to dead. And leave a review while you're at it, because we really don't have that many. So leave a nice one, because if we're if you're going to leave one, make it a nice one. Make it count. Jabaka looking at you. Anyway, uh, on that note, I am Dave Beaudry. And I am still your Jason Bailey. And we are one day closer to dead, but that day is not and will not be today. So until next week, dozens and dozens around the world. <laughs>